Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 3. As we continue our study of John's gospel, moving through it fairly carefully, seeking to understand his reflections on Christ, and, and of course coming to the end of the third chapter, we, we're moving into the, the real open public ministry of Jesus as he begins to teach and preach throughout the, the countryside. But I want you to hear again, we looked at verses 22 through 36 last Sunday, and I want to come back to verses 31 through 36 again today. And I want us to see once again uh, what John is saying here. Now, again, there's, it's not real clear from the way the text is laid out if this is John the Baptist continuing to talk after the first part of it, or if this is uh, John the Apostle who is giving commentary on what, the John, what John the Baptist has said. Either way, it, it's really not uh, important or not critical to the text to understand how the, the makeup is and exactly who's speaking here. The truth is, and the fact is, it's a commentary on the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And whether it's John the Baptist or John the Apostle, it really doesn't matter because what we need to see here is that Jesus Christ is being exalted and lifted up. He's being shown as the one who is superior to all things, all people, all religious systems, all ideas that any man has. He's lifted up as the one who is from God, fully God, and rules as God, as the text or as the sermon title uh, indicates this morning. That's what John is, desi is desiring that we see above everything else. Hear the words as I read, beginning verse 31. It's really, it is something of an ampl amplification on John 3:30. He must increase, I must decrease, which we talked about at length last week and in my Grace Notes article this week. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit that is, God gives the Spirit, the Father gives the Spirit without measure to he who came from him. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey or believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Several years ago, I was reading the story about a very well-known Bible teacher of the early part of the 20th century. And during that time, uh, we don't have the travel that we have now. I mean, we just had a team get back yesterday from, from uh, Peru, from the Chancay River Valley, and they went to Lima, they got on an airplane, and five hours later they were, in, uh, they, were, they were in Atlanta getting ready to drive five more hours to get here. Travel today is quite expedited in every sense of the word. In, in the early 20th century, the main mode of travel was by boat, by ship. And this particular Bible teacher uh, who decided that he wanted to visit the Far East, and so he took out, he took his visit, he got there, did his, what he went there to do, and was on his way back. And in his diary, he records something of an account that he had after they stopped for, to take on fuel and other things, what the, what the uh, uh, 
uh, what they did when they got there. And he met a lady and he began to talk with her. I just want to read out of his diary these words. Our ship put into Colombo for a day of, for coal and supplies, he wrote. And we were all glad to go ashore after three weeks of shipboard life. When we returned at night, everybody was full of the day's adventures. One lady told me how that she had been to a Buddhist temple that day, and on the walls of which were paintings depicting the series in the life of the Buddha. They, they all had been explained to her by the, by the priest in charge. And, said the lady, they were so much like what we read about Christ that I have come to the conclusion that there was no difference between the Buddha and Christ. And if, if these believe in Buddha, that is all that is required. And what about your believing in Buddha, I inquired. What about you believing in Buddha too, if there's no difference between him and Christ? She answered, well, of course, I belong to the West, so I believe in Christ. But I not see any difference between them, she replied. In those pictures, I asked, depicting incidents in the life of Buddha, did you see one of Buddha dying on a cross for sinners? No, she said, there was not one like that. Then, of course, there would not have been one of the Buddha having died, then rising again on the third day from the dead. No, she said, there was not. Then I said, Buddha cannot be like Christ. For the two great facts of Christ are that he died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, and was buried, and that he rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures. I was glad, this Bible teacher said. I was glad that the lady finally agreed that Buddha was not like Christ. What John is wanting us to see here in this passage is that Christ is not like anybody. Christ is not like any religious figure. Christ is not like any human being. Christ is not like anybody that's ever lived. He is in a unique category all by himself because he is not just a mere man. He is not just, as John will put it, of the earth, but he has come from heaven. And there's some great things here that John wants us to see and understand in this whole idea of he must increase and I must decrease when John the Baptist says that about Jesus' ministry and his own ministry. There's several things here, three things that I put in the title that I want us to see out of this text and then I'll summarize with a few summary statements and we'll be done. The first thing that John emphasizes here is that Jesus is from God the Father. Verses 31 and 34 make that clear. He who comes from above is above all, but he is from the earth is, from, uh, is of the earth, and he speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Then verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The distinction here that is being made and the one that, that John wants us to see is a clear distinction between heavenly and earthly. That which is from heaven is unique. That which from earth is something that we all share. That the one who comes from heaven, who came to tell us about what's transpiring in heaven, who comes to tell us about the truths of heaven, who comes to tell us about the truths of the words of God, he is unique in every sense. He is unlike any other person that's ever walked the face of the earth, religious or otherwise. This distinction is something that John wants us to see. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul wanted us to see the same thing uh, when he wrote to the Corinthian Christians. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 49, 
Paul wrote these words, the first man is from the earth. Who's the first man? Adam. Adam is from the earth. The first man is from the earth. He is earthy. The second man is from heaven. Who is the second man? Christ, Jesus. Yes, he is from heaven. As the earthy, also we are those who are earthy. As, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. What Paul is saying there is similar to what John is saying here in John chapter 3, and that is that the heavenly and the earthy are different. We are all born of the earthy. We are all born of Adam. When we come into this world, we come into this world born of Adam's nature. We are born sinners. We've talked about that at length. There is no innocent little ones born into the world. I, I don't want to tell Mary Lou that, but she had a nice little grandbaby sinner born this past week, and uh, and and and. That's just fact. We're all born of the earth. We are all born with the nature of Adam. But now Paul makes clear, and John is going to make clear, that those who come to faith in Christ have a rebirth. They have a new birth. They're not only born of the earthy, but they're also born of the heavenly. When they experience faith in Christ, there's a rebirth, a new birth, that gives them a new life, and we become partakers of Christ. We don't become just like him in an instant. We don't become perfect at a very, at a very point of, of faith, but we begin to take on the nature of Christ, and through sanctification and development in the Christian walk, we become more like the heavenly. We move in that direction until finally one day we will stand before him face to face and see him as he is, and Scripture says, and we will be like him. We will become full partakers of the nature of Christ in the glorification after this earth when we stand before him face to face. We are born of Adam, and we are reborn of Christ. We are born of Adam of the earth. We are reborn in Christ from above. John says, I want you to understand that Jesus is from God. He also says, I want you to understand in verse 34, that Jesus not only is from God, but he speaks the truth of God. His word is truth. Jesus said in his prayer, praying to the Father just before his crucifixion in the garden there. And he's praying for his disciples that are with it, there with him. And then he expands that to pray for you and me, those who would believe because of their testimony. And he prays this. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus declared that God's word is true. John declares that Jesus came to speak to us God's word and to tell us of his truth. And those things that he speaks, those things are absolutely and completely true. John says, he whom, uh, he whom God sent speaks the words of God. I, I find it interesting that in our day, we certainly struggle with that. In our day, we certainly tr struggle with the Word of God being the Word of God, with the words of Jesus being the words of God that have been spoken. And, and I love to see some people try to take and twist and turn and, and exclude and, and include and change about the Word of God. I mean, that's just sort of a, a national pastime in America today. Uh, if you've not been in a cave somewhere this past week, or you've not been in a coma somewhere, you know that there was a big event that took place this past week, a great declaration uh, from the President of the United States 
that he believes that all people, male with male, female with female, should be married if they so desire. They should have that right, that, that there's no difference in homosexual marriage and heterosexual marriage. And, and that became the whole thing. That's always on the newspapers, all in the news. It was everywhere you turned. That's what was being talked about at every turn. I was amazed to, to read an article yesterday uh, quoting uh, that great cultural icon, Stephen Colbert. Now I realize Colbert's a, a comedian, and I realize I don't find him all that funny, but some people do. Uh, but I, his, his statement that he made yesterday, that in this article that he made evidently earlier in the week, just blew me away because he decided to take the authority of the Scripture to prove that that declaration was absolutely right. And the way he did that was he said, you know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. And you know what? That's absolutely true. He never did. Never said a word about it. Never spoke of it. Never uttered an utterance about it. Never said it was good. Never said it was bad. Never said anything about it. He also never said anything about rape being wrong or slavery or, or incest or marrying one's farm animal or, pet, or family pet. He, he never said any of those things were wrong. But he did say this. He said it twice, quoted in, John's, uh, excuse me, in, in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. Quoting Genesis chapter 2, and, and, and later Paul quotes it in Ephesians, also, Ephesians chapter 5 also. And this is what he said. And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who cre- created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, he didn't say that homosexual marriage was wrong. But he said, here's the definition, here's the standard, here's what God says is true. And what we have to do as believers is not succumb to the cultural ideas, to the, to the earthy things of manly thinking, man's thinking, but we have to adhere to the words that Christ has spoken, which God says are the words of absolute truth. Now, now we want to be careful here because we certainly don't want to elevate a sin, one sin over another and say, oh, well, that's, that's the ultimate sin. That's the epitome of sin. Everyone who, who is on this earth, everyone that's been born Yes, even that new grandbaby, is a sinner and in need of a Savior. And, and, and everyone ought to be welcomed into our congregations to hear the gospel and hear the truth and be shared the gospel with. I don't care what they do, who they are, what it's all about. Now, that doesn't mean that you recognize certain aberrant behavior. If a man and woman sitting here this morning were to come forward to me and say, you know, we, are, we want to join this church. We want to be members of this church. And and this actually happened to me in Florida. And they said, uh, here's, here's who we are, and, and here's what we're doing. We're, we're not married. We're both still married to someone else, but we're living together, and, and we really want to come and be a part of the church. I would say to them, no. <laughs> I did to that couple. I said, I can't present you to the church for membership. And they were incensed. Why not? I said, because if I present you for membership and we accept you as members, then I will immediately have to turn around and bring church discipline against you because you're living an aberrant lifestyle. You're living in contrary to the Word of God. Now, I also want you to see that the times in the Scripture where homosexuality is brought up, it's usually brought up with adultery. It's usually brought up with fornication. 
but it's also usually brought up with gossip and slander and greed. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's something the Scripture understands that sometimes we forget that all sin is sin and needs a Savior. And what John is wanting us to see here is that this one who came from God is the supreme one. He is supreme because he has come from God and he speaks the truth. He speaks the words of God. And we are to hear him. Now, John said there's many who don't. Matter of fact, he says no one, no one receives his testimony. We talked about that last week. That's a hyperbole. That's an overstatement. But in reality, as we will see as we move through John's gospel, there are multitudes that do not accept it. There are some who act like they're going to accept his word, and then he says something hard, uh, like he does the rich young ruler who came after him and followed him and said, listen, I want to be your disciple. And he said, fine, you want eternal life? You want to be my disciple? Fine. Then go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Well, rich young ruler went away sad because he had much. Now, that's not the principle of Scripture that if you want to be a disciple, you got to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you can be a Christian. That's not the principle of the Scripture. But the principle of the Scripture is that what Christ has said is true is true. And if you want to come to Christ, and if you want to identify with Christ, you come to Him by faith, and that changes your life. That gives you a rebirth. It makes you a new creature, and you don't leave the same way you came. And you reject. You you don't see sinning, but you start hating that sin and ceasing to live in Him. Jesus is from God, John says. Second, he says he's fully God. Uh, you, you see that primarily in verses 34 and the first part of 35. For he who, whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Look at this. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He's fully God. He has the Spirit in its fullness. You and I have the Spirit. If, if we're believers, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's given of us the Holy Spirit. He's given us of His Spirit. But we don't possess it like Jesus did. We don't have it fully. We don't have it completely. You know how I know that? Because Jesus had it fully. He never sinned. Not once. He was tempted as we are, the Scripture says, but never sinned. And so Jesus had the, had the Spirit of the Father without measure. Now, here you get just a tip. You're going to get this more in John's Gospel, but you get just the tip of the iceberg on Trinitarian thought. The, the Trinity is going to be unfolded in John's Gospel like no other place in Scripture. John is going to show us that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are true to the Old Testament Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God. There is but one God, and He manifests Himself. He, is, he, is, he, he abides in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John will unpack that for us in some clarity and in some depth. But here he just gives us the tip of the iceberg. Just get a taste of it. The Father has given the Son. The Father has given the one that is from Him the Spirit without measure, unlimited, fully, completely, absolutely. His Spirit fills the Son. Why? Because 
the spirit that's given from the Father is the spirit of God, and Jesus is God. He is fully God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. I mean, the Scriptures are clear about the unity of God in the triunity of the expression in the Trinity. And John wants us to see that not only did Jesus come from God, but Jesus is fully God. Do you see him in, in these verses just lifting up Christ, exalting Christ, and saying, there is the answer. There is the one who will later say in this very book, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life that is found in him. We have to understand that. We have to see that. We have to abide in that. We have to believe that. The, the key here is believing that Jesus is who he said he is and not just deciding that we will follow man's ideas. Jesus is from God. Jesus is fully God. And thirdly, Jesus rules as God with all authority. The authority of the creator, the authority of the one who has given, who has been given that authority from the Father on high. And you find that right there in verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. I, I love how John states that. If you remember back just a little earlier in verse 16 of this chapter, that well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, we, we relish in that. We glory in that verse, and, and rightly so. But John says here, I want you to understand that not only does God love the world, and not only does God love us, and not only does God give us life, and, not, and we don't have to perish if we believe in him, but he says, I want you to understand, John says, the Father loves the Son. He loves his Son. He, he loves his Son with a with a special love, and, and, and that's why he sent him into the world. The Father loves the Son, and in loving him, he has given all things into his hand. That all things into his hand is an expression of authority. He rules. The scripture refers to him as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's not just a Lord among many lords. He, he's not just one who kind of stands on an equal footing with other religions. He, he's not one who comes in and says, well, I have some authority, and, and, and I will submit my authority to a governmental authority because, you know, we're just all about the same. No, no, he is the one to whom the Father has given all things all authority. As Jesus is preparing to leave this earth and looks at his disciples about to ascend into heaven, he said, listen, for all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And then with that authority, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, saying that to every believer. But he says that not on the basis of just some willy-nilly idea. He says that on the basis of the fact that God has given all things to him. God has placed all authority in him. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. His is an absolute authority. Ours is a derived authority that he 
gives to us in measure, but not absolutely. But for him, he rules as God. I had, I had a Todd to read that passage out of Colossians chapter 1. If you, had a, you can either turn with me or you can just listen. But that passage that, that he read out of Colossians chapter 1, which is an expression of the same thing that Paul makes. He says in verse 15, He is the image that is Christ, Jesus. He's been talking about the incomparableness of Christ. You know, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In him we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. I mean, it's talking about the incomparable work that Christ has done in the life of every believer. Then he says in verse 15, he, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. As we get into chapter 4 of John's gospel, we're going to see that God is spirit. He's invisible. But Jesus is the image. He's the manifestation of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, that is the church. He's been given authority in the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is the resurrection, and that he himself will, become to, will come to have first place in everything. King James says there that he will have preeminence in everything, first place in everything. Anything, any person that does not give him preeminence, that does not give him first place, is guilty of idolatry, which we'll deal with in John chapter 4. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The picture there is of, is of an absolutely authoritative, absolutely ruling Christ. One who sees over all, who, who was there at the creation, who by him all things were created, for him all things were created, in him all things were created. He is the one who is supreme. So to even make a statement like that dear lady made in that, on that ship deck that I mentioned early, that, well, Buddha's just like the Christ. Muhammad is just like the Christ. The, the Hindu religion is just like Christianity or, or any other variety of understandings. Nowhere has there ever been one who is said to have died for our sins, buried and rose on the third day. That's the heart. That's the essence of Christianity. Someone will say, no, the essence of Christianity is, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a great principle that flows out of our being in Christ, we're, we're able to somehow, at least sometimes, do that. But do unto others as you would have them do unto you is not a salvific statement. It's not something that brings a right relationship with God. It's only in trusting Christ that there is life. So John, as did Paul in Colossians 1, seeks to exalt Christ, to show the supremacy of Christ, to show the absolute superiority of Christ in all things. 
above all things, above all religions, above all peoples, above all other so-called truth, his truth is absolute. It's been our whole dedication conference talking about his truth. Started out with Al Mohler talking about, you know, the uh, speaking truth to a culture that doesn't believe that truth even exists. And that's where we live, folks. And the sad thing is that we are being so bombarded by that every single day. We are being so bombarded by, uh, by the media and by our entertainment and by our music and by our, our movies and by our television. Everything there is is bombarding us with, hey, everything's relative. It, 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 everything is, is sort of our own standard rather than seeing that it is either God's truth or there's no truth. Now, the culture will say there's no truth. You know why? Because the culture, in their, their, their underlying message is this. There is no God but God, and I'm it. So I can do whatever I want to do, live any way I want to live, and that's right because it's right in my own eyes. But you know what? If you watch most preaching on television, basically what you're going to hear is, listen, God exists to make you happy. God exists to make your life easy. God exists to, to lift you up and exalt you and give you a good self-image and give you, a, uh, give you money and give you health and give you wealth and give you possessions. And, you know, God exists just to... Do whatever he can for you. When in reality, the scripture says we exist for his glory. We exist to give him glory. We exist to reflect his glory. We exist to magnify and exalt and lift up Christ and his truth and his word, his supremacy. It does not ever surprise me for someone to say, listen, I just, my God would just not judge people. And my standard answer to that is, you're probably right, your God wouldn't. But your God is not the God of the Bible. Your God is the God of your own vain imagination. Your God is the God of your own creation. Richard Dawkins, regularly in his debates, made the statement, you know, God was created, man has just created God in his own image. You know, God is a, a creation of man's ideas. And you know what? In a sad, sick sort of way, Dawkins was absolutely right. Because much of what we see today is not the exalted Christ being lifted up. Much of what we see today is not a God who works for his own glory and works for the good of his people to bring glory to himself. Much of what we see today is not a God who is almighty, all-sovereign, all-powerful, all-good, all-everything, but rather a God who is wimpy and just wants you to be happy. Does adultery make you happy? Then go be happy. They may not ultimately say it that brazen or that blatant, but that's what they're saying. Does divorce make you happy? Then, then go, be divorced, be happy. Doesn't matter, he said, that they shall become one flesh and you don't break that apart, you don't separate that. Doesn't matter. 
That doesn't make you happy. You go be happy. Because that's what life is all about, just being happy. Our Sunday school, many of our adult class have been studying sacred marriage by Gary Thomas, and I'm, I'm so thrilled they are because the, the one essence, the essence, the, the bottom line truth that, that Gary brings out in there is so true is that God is much more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. And God may have put you in that difficult marital situation to make you more holy, not just to give you happiness. The thing that John wants us to see here is that joy, not mere happiness, that's a sellout. Happiness is 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 an inferior idea. Joy, however, comes from exalting Christ, knowing Him and abiding in Him and understanding who He is and believing in that with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and being committed to the truth of who God is and what God has said. The truth is, oh, and I, you know, I, that's not saying any of those things are unforgivable sins. I hear the wheels turning. Oh, does that mean I can't be forgiven? No. There's forgiveness in repentance. And in Christ, exalting him, showing him as superior, showing him as who he is. The the five things John shows us here, just in a nutshell, that that John informs us that, that Jesus is superior to John the Baptist and superior to everybody else because of where he came from. He, he's superior to John and everything else because of that which he speaks. He speaks from above. He speaks heavenly things. He speaks the truth of God. He, his testimony is of God. And those who believe that testimony, those who receive that testimony, they declare that God is true. The opposite of that is declaring that God is a liar. Thirdly, Jesus speaks as one who has the fullest measure of the Spirit of God. And fourthly, Jesus is uniquely loved by the Father in heaven and has been given the Father's full authority, and he rules as such. And finally, Jesus is the one on whom the destiny of every human being rests. Every human being. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey, and the word again, I said obey and believe are very closely related there. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. It's pretty simple. Jesus is the one on whom the destiny of every human being rests. Jesus is the key to your destiny. You're not the captain of your own destiny. You're not the determiner of your own destiny. Jesus is. He's the key to it. And the answer to one simple question, one simple question determines in totality your destiny, not just for why you're in Somerset, Kentucky, or why you're on this earth, but your destiny while for all of eternity. And that question is simply this, who is Jesus Christ? And what have you done about his claim to be God's only means for your salvation? John said the one who believes that 
has eternal life. The one who doesn't, the wrath of God abides on them forever. To reject the words of Christ, to reject the words of our Lord who speaks for the Father, speaks the Father's words, is to call God a liar. But to believe on Him is to declare that God is true. Declare that Jesus is who He said He was. It's the old, it's the old trifecta of, of C.S. Lewis. That Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He either knew he wasn't God, but he said he was, and so he was a liar, so he's no great moral teacher. He ought to be rejected completely. Or or Jesus really thought he was God, but he really wasn't. I mean, he had this Messiah complex, and and, and he, he wasn't really a liar because he just didn't know any better, but he was a lunatic. Just like the person at the state mental hospital who says, I'm Jesus, I'm God. They're out of their mind. But if he's a lunatic, he's certainly no one to be listened to and no one to be followed. And so uh, he's, he's out of the question there. Or he's Lord. That is, he is who he said he was. He declares the truth of who he said he is. And his words come from God and his authority is from the Father. And, and that truth is not a temporal truth. It's not a relative truth. It's not a, it's not a maybe truth. It is, as Schaefer called it, true truth, absolute truth that will never, ever be contradicted. He's either a lunatic, liar, or he's Lord. Either has no claim over your life or he has absolute claim over your life. question is, how have you responded to that claim? And the question for we who are believers is this, how are you exalting the superiority and the supremacy and the glory of Christ, not just sitting in a church service, but how are you doing it at work? How are you doing it where you live? How are you living it out? Let's pray. Father, the truth of your word is that Jesus is Lord above all peoples, things, Authorities, his truth trumps anything else that claims to be truth that contradicts it. Trumps it. Because Jesus is from God, fully God, and rules authoritatively as God. Father, help us see that, know that, and commit our lives to that. Completely. We pray in Jesus' name.